0: Um, like I said, we are officially less than two weeks away from our due date. And like I mentioned, it has been extremely terrifying, but as well as exciting. And this week we had quite a bit of a terrifying moment. There was one day during the week where we just happened to stay up um, until 3am. I don't know why we were just unpacking at our house. We were just chilling and relaxing. I think we were watching fear street on Netflix And Krista, throughout this past month, she's been experiencing what's known as Braxton Hicks. You guys know what that is? They're pretty much practice contractions. And so when when you get Braxton Hicks, you're feeling the contractions, but you're not actually going into labor. Your body is just preparing for when you actually do go into labor. But Braxton Hicks, they're supposed to be pretty inconsistent, and they're supposed to go away after a little while, right? But a few days ago... Krista and I were sitting in our living room. We were up till 3 a.m. just having fun, enjoying each other, watching TV, also watching Survivor, if any Survivor fans in the house. And she was just experiencing a lot of Braxton Hicks the entire night. And it was weird because it wasn't going away. And so I was just, you know, in my mind, I'm kind of worrying, but I'm trying to remain calm because I don't want to freak her out. We finally find ourselves in bed like at 3, 3.30 a.m. and the contractions are still coming. So I'm like, you know what, just in case, I'm going to start recording them, like the good husband that I am, just to see if you're actually going into labor or not. And so here's the thing about Braxton Hicks. The more and more consistent the labor, you know, the the contractions come, like the the time between contractions, the time the contractions last, and the shorter the window between contractions means that you're probably going to need to get ready. And so I was recording quietly. She's telling me, oh, I'm feeling it. Okay, it stopped. right, 12 minutes. Oh, I'm feeling it again. And as I'm recording, it's consistent. And as I'm recording over the span of an hour, the, the time between contractions is getting shorter and shorter. And so inside my mind, I am freaking out. Because first of all, I said, God, of all nights, the night we choose to stay up till 3 a.m., if baby comes tonight, we got no sleep. We're going to be completely dead, completely tired. You know, God, we haven't finished unpacking our house, unboxing everything, setting up all the baby furniture and the crib and setting up the baby room and getting everything done. We are not ready. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about church because we've never been away for this long. We've never been away for longer than a month. And I'm thinking, man, church is not ready. Our volunteers Aren't ready. There's so much I still have to teach people. I still have to roster. I still have to download so much into Ying's brain right now, so he doesn't make sure the church falls apart. And so I'm starting to freak out. But of course, I couldn't show it. And so when Chris asked, "Oh, so how's it going? Like, how's it looking?" I'm like, "Oh, it's fine. (laughs) Probably just Braxton Hicks." But in my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay, I'm gonna need to get up in about five minutes, start packing, and just getting everything ready, getting the car ready." And so in my mind, I'm I'm starting to spiral at this point. I'm starting to feel anxious. And then all of a sudden, I hear, and she fell asleep. And I was like, thank you, Lord, because even if baby is coming, he won't come until she wakes up. And so I said, thank you, God. You know, but after this very traumatic experience for me, I'm lying in bed, and I felt like I heard the voice of God. And regarding specifically church in 99, I felt like God saying, up until now, all you've been doing is worrying about all the things that could go wrong while you're away. If you don't know, we're control freaks, okay? And so for us to let go of the church and just trust the church will be okay, we're anxious about it. But I felt like God saying, up until now, all you've been doing is worrying about all the things you could go wrong. Like, like Ying's going to set up the computer and the projector's going to catch on fire one Sunday. And the coffee team, they're going to spill coffee. And then the dogs are going to drink and get poisoned and die. You're thinking of all the things that are going to go wrong while you're gone. But I felt like him challenging me and asking me, but what do you actually want to see while you're away? What are you dreaming for your community In your absence, that is, what are the things that you hope to hear about while you're gone to make you feel like 99 was flourishing without you? Real quick, um, all the pastors I hear that took time away from church, they said their, their churches got better while they were gone. And so I'm trusting 99 will become way better. But I started asking, like, what do I really want to see while we're gone? Is it that Alex brewed the most perfect cup of coffee that Andytown is clamoring to get his recipe? Is it that Jacob hit that high note during Waymaker during worship? Is it that Vanessa dropped a Stephen Furtick-like revel- revelation during her sermon? By the way, Vanessa's preaching in a few weeks for the first time. Is it that Ying didn't burn the place to the ground? Like, What is it? What do you want to see? How will you know that you have hit your mark? And the answer that I came to in my heart of hearts, I said, more than anything, God, while we're away, I want to see that they loved one another, that in the absence of our leadership, of our programs and events, they still chose to love one another. There's a moment in scripture where Paul addresses the Colossian church, and the church Of Colossae was very much like ours. They were a new community of Jesus followers in a city with competing ideologies and competing cultural values. And in this moment Paul writes to the Colossian church and this is what he says to this brand new church plant. He says we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's People listen. You don't understand how wild this is. They didn't have Instagram back in the day. They didn't have TikTok that you could just log into while you're sitting on the couch, say, Oh, that's what 99 Church is doing. Oh, that's what reality is doing. Oh, that's what all these churches are doing. No, word had spread that this church in Colossae was known for their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. That is, they were known for their radical love and pursuit of God and their radical love. For one, another. one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, he, he says this super long-winded quote, but it's going to blast you. The fruit, in fact, has already begun to appear, and it's interesting to see that this is what Paul focuses on when he tells them how he heard about the new church coming into being. He doesn't say that he's heard about their new learning and wisdom. He does, of course, want them to grow in understanding and wisdom, but that's not the telltale first sign of life. He doesn't say he's heard about their newfound holiness and obedience to a strict new moral code. He does indeed want them to live a new sort of life, but that will come in due time. He puts his finger instead on the key thing, the fruit that appears quietly but surely within a genuine Christian community soon after it's been planted Epaphras, he says, has told us about your love in the Spirit. Hear me, 99. We can have the best teaching, the best worship, the best coffee, which we do in Jesus' name, the best Instagram account, the cutest puppies, but if there is no tangible evidence of love in our house, we have missed our mark. We have not been living for the reason why we exist. This is why Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you know the lyrics to Reckless Love. No, that's not it. <laughs> by this, you will know that you are my disciples. If you could quote the sermon. No. By this, you, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you jump up and down during worship. No, it says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. Yo, forget Facebook ads or sleek branding and welcome home signs. Love will always be the greatest church marketing strategy. People may come for the music. People may come for the teaching. They may come for the coffee. They may come for the little puppies running around, but they will stay when they experience genuine love. This is the mark of a thriving, healthy, mature church. And the reason why I feel this word for us today is because we're very much, I know we planted our church in 2018, but we're very much another new church plant. Every church plant coming out of pandemic, I've been talking to pastors all throughout the city, they're all new church plants. We are starting from the ground up again. And I wonder, as we continue to open our doors, what is it that our church will be known for? Will we just be known for our, our cute little smiley face logo? Will we just be known that we have dogs in our saying? No, what will be, we be known for? And my heart and my prayer, and Paul's heart and prayer, was that we would be known for our love for one another. How do you know you're maturing in Christ? How do you know you're growing in your walk with God? What's the barometer for spiritual maturity in your personal walk with God, I'll tell you what it is. It's love. If you ain't loving your neighbors better, if you ain't loving your community better, if you ain't loving God better, and you're doing all these spiritual activities, you're still missing the mark. That's why Paul says later, as he addresses the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13:1 through 3, famous passage, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen, I... I made many mistakes in my lifetime inviting people onto the worship team that had no business being there. And I remember one retreat, I put together a worship team and I just wanted someone to feel like they were involved. So you know what I gave them? I gave them a little tiny triangle and a little tiny tambourine. And I tell you, we are worshiping our heart out, but that tiny little instrument messed up everything. Like it quenched the move of God in our in our gatherings. And what Paul's saying is like, Imagine a beautiful symphony is playing, but Ying comes out of nowhere with two cymbals. He's going, psh, psh. he's saying, it's just extra noise that unless you have love, all the good works that you do, even if your faith, if I speak to that garden, I say, move, and you see the trees get up like Groot and start walking away. Even if I'm able to do that in the power of God, but I have not love, I have missed the mark. Love is the barometer for spiritual maturity. And can I be brutally honest? In my many years of experience in the church, I find sometimes it's the guy that, you know, the guy that never shows up to community groups, that actually sometimes knows how to love better than the church leaders themselves. It's sad. Can I just be brutally honest? Sometimes it's the girl that could barely make it to church on Sunday service that knows how to love better then the seminary graduate. Yet yeah, those are the people we're always highlighting and elevating, the pastors, the leaders. Of the church. What if we could elevate in our church those who love really well? Um, Gloria is in the house, and she's getting ready to move to the East Coast. I am the biggest fan of her boyfriend, okay, her boyfriend, Daniel, because Daniel, I bet none of you guys, barely any of you guys know who Daniel is. You've never had a conversation with him. He's He's like the ghost, right? He just comes in and out sometimes. He's just this person that you've heard of. He's like the Holy Spirit. You can't see him, but you know he's in existence somewhere. But I love because I heard, because Dan lived with him for a few months, that Dan, after Sundays, would go out by himself and put together care packages for the homeless people in his area. And he didn't tell anybody about it. He just did it. And when I hear about people that love really well, I feel like those are the stories we should be elevating and highlighting. That's what a church should be known for. The ultimate goal is not more knowledge. It's not more influence. It's not more power. What matters in the end is love. And I believe that theology that cannot be expressed in a practice of love is not good theology. And we live in a generation where so many of us know so much but we don't know what to do with it. And that's why the word says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And we're just walking around like marshmallow men, just puffed up with knowledge and all these biblical insights. But because we're not practicing, we're actually not building anything worthwhile building around us. I fear that many churches in our day and age will be known for the great production Great worship music and songs, great teaching, great branding and design, but few will actually be known for love. As you, have you heard about 99 Church in San Francisco? Man, they know how to love. Like, when I walked through that door, I felt almost uncomfortable by the amount of love that was showered on me. I mean, I used to be part of a pretty multi-ethnic church, and the people in our congregation that were the best lovers were the big black mamas, because they would always wrap me in their arms. First time I'm meeting someone, they would just say, come here, and just wrap me in their arms. And I feel like, what if we could be a church known not for anything else other than our love? I learned this past week about redwood trees. We have redwood trees here in the Bay Area. Tanya just went on a really cool van trip, probably saw a bunch of cool trees. But the thing about redwood trees is this. For how tall they are, hundreds of feet tall in the air, you would be surprised that their roots beneath the soil actually don't go very deep. Like, you would think if they're hundreds of feet tall that the roots would go hundreds of feet underneath the ground. But that's actually not the case. And they actually discovered... That why these redwood trees still stand tall to this day and have for hundreds of years isn't because their roots grow deep, but it's because their roots grow wide. And what they do is they find another redwood tree, and they connect their roots to that root. And it becomes this underground root system, not necessarily too deep but connecting with other trees around it. Hear me, church. Your flourishing isn't just dependent on how deep your roots grow. It's dependent on how connected your roots are with others. Let me put it this way. In the same way, The flourishing of our church, of our community, is not just dependent on how individual our roots grow deep. It's dependent on our collective root system. Listen, you could come in here and you could be the holiest of holies, but if you ain't connecting your root with other roots, like those redwood trees, like... You're not going to flourish. This is how God designed us as his children, as the church. And this is why Paul says in Hebrews 10... Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's alarming for me as a pastor because I see a trend that's going on in the church these days, and it's this. People have their relationship with God, just the two of us. I'm walking with you, God, hand in hand, just me and you. doesn't matter if it's shallow or deep. I have my relationship with you. On the other hand, people have their community. They have their friends outside of the church that may be Christian or not. And so they feel like, man, I could flourish. I could thrive. I have my relationship with God. I have my people. And because you have your community already, there's a sense that there's no need to invest in deeper relationships in the church that you attend with other believers. Listen, hear me. We need friends outside of the church. In fact, some of you need to hear this challenge today. You need friends outside of the church. You need friends that don't listen to Chris Tomlin or Maverick City Music. You need friends that don't watch VeggieTales on the weekends. You need friends outside of the church. In fact, that's probably what many of us need to work on. But make no mistake, our friends who do not follow Jesus are not the same thing as the body. We need both. The body of Christ, the church, is the context where scripture says we grow and mature, where we could be those redwood trees that connect to other roots, where we discover our identity and our gifts and our calling, where we unravel the mysteries of God. It's the place where we practice the tenets of our faith, love, patience, forgiveness, reconciliation. It's the place where we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, listen, if you've ever tried to lose weight on your own, it's impossible. You need someone to spur you on unless you're a type three, super driven, okay? And maybe you're saying, okay, no offense, but the people at church are just not my kind of crew, right? They're not the people that I would actually hang around with or get to know or become close with. To that I say, that's the point. The beautiful thing about the Colossian church was that it was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, of the rich and the poor, people with fundamentally different backgrounds, upbringings and cultures coming together, yet it says their love for one another was so evident. Listen, that person across the room that you're thinking, Man, they're such a in Christian. They're not following God. You need that person. That person across the room that you're thinking so pretentious, so holier than thou, always wearing a cross shirt and a cross necklace with cross earrings, you need that person. That person that has a radically different political lean from you, you need that person. The point of the church isn't that we're all collectively alike. It's that we're different, yet we choose to love, show a love that's different from the world. We're in our world, we want to get into our echo chambers. Come on, your Instagram feeds are echo chambers. You know that, right? But the church is supposed to be something different. It's not supposed to be an echo chamber. Actually, the only thing it's supposed to echo is the love of Christ dwelling within us and expressed with one another. But everything else it's fair game. It's supposed to be different. Listen, I've been pastoring long enough to see a trend. Sometimes when we put community groups together, I'm like, I don't know. Like, these are the most random groups of people. I totally cannot see them getting along. I don't see them, like, becoming best friends. I don't know about their chemistry. Like, they're not going to end up building lasting friendships. You know what's weird? All the groups that we felt that about, They actually ended up becoming lifelong besties. Like, we have community groups we started three years ago. Most random, like, this is the group we have to pray and fast for. We are genuinely worried when they start. Like, it's going to be so awkward when they get into a room. Man, they're still keeping in touch. When people come back in town, they meet up. And sometimes people that look great on paper, like, oh, my God, these guys are going to become best friends. For some reason, it doesn't work out. But what's, what's evident is this. What it takes is a commitment to one another, saying, I will choose to love you. It's not, I, we say this all the time. San Francisco doesn't need another Sunday service. Come on. We got Hillsong down the street. We got reality. Like, you go to these Sunday services, they are amazing. What San Francisco needs is a covenant community. A people who are committed to loving one another. A people who are committed to pursuing Christ together. A people like the Colossian church who are known for their love. My question to you is this. My challenge to you is this. Hey, you may feel like you have community, like you have people surrounding you, but do you have people who spur you on toward love and faith? Do you have a person who spurs you on toward pursuing God and pursuing others with greater and greater intensities of love? One of my favorite people in all of existence because he's an Enneagram type seven wing seven Bob Goff. <laughs> he says, when love is a theory, it's safe. It's free of risk. But love in the brain changes nothing. Yo, some of you need to get your brain and squeeze the love out of it. How can we live this out in this season? And so as my parting encouragement and exhortation to y'all while we go and explore the new realm of parenthood and lose sleep and I might come back aged a few years. But the last thing I want to leave you is not something that came from my own revelation. Instead, I'm going to share what I've been learning from you, our community this season that I want to highlight in our house and what it means to love one another. Well, and so I want to share three ways we can see love expressed at our church this season all inspired by you. So this sermon is written by you. Thank you, 99. You inspire me. The first is this. Love expressed in effort. Falling in love is easy. Like, it's so easy, y'all. You can fall in love. You can go on a reality TV show on Netflix. You'll fall in love. (laughs) Staying in love is hard. I can't count how many people I've seen fall in love with our church Oh, my God, 99 is amazing. Your smiley face logo is so cool. All the branding and designs, amazing. your coffee is cool. You guys allow dogs into your sanctuary. 99 is great. 99 is the best. It's so different. But I wonder in the back of my mind, because I've seen enough people come through and say, I love this church. I love it. I found my people. But I wonder how many of those who fell in love with our church stay in love when things get hard, when the hype died down when people moved on, when our weaknesses and imperfections as pastors and leaders began to bleed through. This year, it's no secret, many people left San Francisco, and many people left our church. Like, I think seriously like 20 or 30% of our people moved to New York. God, New York, or Los Angeles. (laughs) Some people are still on their way out. And it's actually a really beautiful thing. Like, we celebrate when God calls people, and we want to bless them and it's exciting because we want to still be part of their journey in their lives and we're so thankful that 99 was a step on their destiny but many people have left our city this year many people from our community people that many of you who are remaining have grown really deep bonds with and you know some of you maybe you've been coming to Sunday service and you start to look around and you're saying shoot all those relationships i invested in over the past few years they're gone And maybe there's a sense that things just aren't the same, it doesn't feel the same, and you feel yourself withdrawing because all the people that you really cared about are no longer here. Come on, can I just be real? Some of you are feeling that, and it's okay. That is very normal. It's okay to mourn change and transition and loss. That's a part of life. But, you know, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, and I was so inspired by what they shared. I was, I was talking to someone who recently was telling me, like, he was literally telling me, every single one of my closest friends from this church have left in the past few years. Like, every single one. And, you know, I was, I was just trying to empathize. And, like, they were telling me how hard it's been. I'm like, man, am I going to need to do some counseling right now? Are we going to need to pray? So I asked, how have you been dealing with all of this? And I was blown away, but I was inspired. Like, I can go off this revelation for years. He said, well, Pastor Mickey, what did I do? I just started investing in new relationships. Like, dang, you are more Christ-like than me, brother. I'm still weeping about people leaving. But he's saying, no, I'm just going to look around and see where else can I start investing. Because even though the people that I invested in left, it was not a waste. There's still deep meaning and value there. You know, I was so inspired and moved by the effort this person was putting into loving our community. This person simply made a little effort. I'm not going to lie, this sermon's a little recycled from two years ago. I preached a message around the same thing, and I copied and pasted some notes. And as, as I was circling through my sermon notes from two years ago, there was one example I gave about the kind of community that we wanted to be. And it was seeing, I, I, I was highlighting at the time our church members who would make new people feel welcome and feel like they belong. And you know what's crazy? This is going to blow your mind. I almost cheered up because one of the examples I gave two years ago in my sermon was, man, I'm so proud of you, 99, for welcoming the newcomers, making them feel like, like they belong, new people like Paulette. I was like, oh my God, Paulette has, is now a staple in our community, and I teared up because many of the people that welcomed Paulette in are now gone, but now Paulette is literally one of the highlights of our community. So good at what, like, I'm seeing on her Instagram story, she's going to karaoke with people, inviting people to wine, fancy wine trips in Napa. And it just made me see how beautiful is that? That even when the demographic changes, we never stop investing, making the effort to pour into one another, to extending our roots out to find the tip of another root and then latching on. Never underestimate the power of a little effort, taking someone out to a meal, talking to the person at church that you've seen, but you've never had a conversation with. Ooh, I feel conviction sweeping across the room. Showing up to church to be around others, showing up. Love expressed in effort. The second thing, love expressed in ownership. Maybe because we're pastors, we have this weird thing like, Kristen, maybe you'll resonate with me, but when we visit other churches and I see, like, the envelopes are crooked and the chair, like, I'll straighten it. Or if I see bathroom and the church bathroom floor, like, I don't know why I'll pick it up. There was one time, like, at the end of service, I saw a chair that was just, like, misaligned, and so I picked it up and I started to put it away. They thought I was a volunteer. They're like, oh, you can move the church to that side. I said, okay. <laughs> I put it over. I don't know why, but I just have this sense of ownership and responsibility, even if it's not our church. And I believe that the church is not just the pastor's or the leader's responsibility. The church is the collective responsibility of the entire community. For some reason in the Western church, there's a, we have this, we have this trend where we place all the responsibility. We relegated all the ownership to the pastors and the leaders. But in the early church, There was a collective sense of responsibility from every single member. Listen, in the early church, you never heard of someone not serving, of not helping out, of not putting away chairs at the end of service, of not giving. You never heard of that because there was a collective sense of responsibility and ownership. When someone was struggling to eat, the church didn't wait for the apostles to put together a meal train. They The people gathered all their belongings, and they distributed it to the poor. And, church, I'm so inspired by you because in this season, as we're stepping away, I've been blown away by how many people have taken ownership of our church in this season. I mean, Alex and Iris, they took over the coffee bar. Like, they just said, let us run with it. And now they're doing, like, coffee cuppings. and Like, I don't even know what that is. I don't even like coffee. But when I drink their coffee, I feel the Holy Spirit. I don't know Why? Like our production team in the last two months, they mastered the art of all this stuff. Um, People within our community are stepping up. You guys know JP? He's he's normally on the camera. He's leading worship for the first time while we're gone. Jacob's leading worship like four times while I'm gone. Jacob has a full-time job. He has a busy life. Like he has a lot of things going on. People stepping up to preach in-house for the first time. Next Sunday, yo, y'all in for a treat. Maureen is preaching. Let's go. Ying's preaching a handful of times. We got first-time preachers coming up. Vanessa and Jonathan Yoon. Let's go. A collective response. I've been so inspired by you, church. Honestly, one of the reasons why we feel comfortable leaving is we sense the collective ownership in our community. We see people stepping in and saying, this isn't just Mickey or Krista's house. This is our house. You know, Ying needs you. This man needs you (laughs) how beautiful would it be if our community rallied around our leaders instead of placing all the burdens on their shoulders how beautiful would it be if we stood beside the few people shouldering the burdens of the church and said we'll shoulder a piece of that with you i believe that the future of the church is less stage-centered Less in the few charismatic leaders and pastors spotlighted on the stage, and more in the entire community shaping the church together—an entire body. Love expressed in ownership. So, love expressed in um, what was the first one? Love expressed in effort. Oh, you guys are so good. <laughs> love expressed in effort. Love expressed in ownership. And this last one, love expressed in initiative. I had the proudest pastor moment a few weeks ago because I'm not going to name which community group, but one community group. I heard they're getting together and they were so inspired by our last collection that they started asking, hey, can we go volunteer together somewhere in the city on the weekends? And, you know, that's music to my ears as a pastor because, man, these people aren't waiting for us to put together a justice initiative or put together a plan. They heard the teaching. And they wanted to respond. They took initiative. No one asked them to do this. I don't know if it's pulling through. I won't look at anyone, so you don't know who it is. But they said, we want to get together, and we want to volunteer together, and we need to do it together so we can hold each other accountable. There was no program or step-by-step guide. They simply took initiative. You know what fills us pastors with the most joy? It's not that you show up on Sunday. It's not that you could, you know, post our quotes on Instagram or Facebook, it's when we see our people living out the gospel without our prompting. When we see people take their faith into their own hands and take initiative. Listen, don't wait for us to begin doing this. Don't wait for us to preach a a message and give you an action plan. Hey, get to know someone in our community or take someone out to dinner or make someone feel welcome. Don't Wait for us. Take initiative. This is your church, your house. Love one another. So, love expressed in effort, love expressed in ownership, love expressed in initiative. Listen, this isn't something that you're not doing, it's something that you are doing. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. As your pastors, I am so moved and so inspired by how you've been loving each other this season. And I believe when we're gone, Man, that love is going to exponentially increase. It's going to be potent. Like, love pheromones are going to flow from this building into our city. I really do feel it. And so this is my heart for 99. What if we could be a community known for love? That church could be known for amazing production. That church could be known for sound teaching. But that church could be known for great worship music. But what if our church could be known for our radical love for God and a radical love for one another. Nothing would make us prouder, nothing would fill us with more joy than if we heard stories of how you loved one another in effort, in in ownership, and in initiative in our absence. Nothing would make us feel like we succeeded as your pastors than if you did this very thing. And so can we do this, church? I know a lot of you guys are actually just visiting, but, you know, go back to your church, and you, you, you share this message with them. But for those of you who call our church home, or maybe you want to get integrated into our church, can we do this? Can we make a little effort? Can we take collective responsibility, and can we take a little initiative? That is our heart. That is my heart. That's the last thing I'm going to share for a month. I'll be back. But I really... I really believe in you, 99. You have inspired me so much, and I know you'll inspire me again and again, even in our absence. So right now, why don't we close our eyes? I just want to give you a time to respond. What is the thing that God is speaking to your heart in hearing this? Is there something that you feel like he's highlighting? Is there something that you feel like he's challenging you with? Maybe what is the little effort that you could put in shoot, you know who else I love? I love Paulette's boyfriend, Joe. He doesn't even go to our church, but every Sunday after service he helps us put away the chairs and wrap the wires. What is that? Like He's the quintessential amazing church boy. But on a real serious note, what, what is the effort that you can make in pouring into your house? Whether it's here at 99 or whether it's somewhere else. I know some of you are visiting from out of town. I know some of you are getting ready to move. When you move, When you go to the new place that you're going to be at, what can you contribute to the house that you find yourself? For those of you who are here, left at 99, maybe you're battling discouragement, disillusionment. You're feeling yourself withdraw because the church has changed so much. What is the effort that you can begin making? What is the initiative that you can start putting in? Right now, just take a moment to commune with God God, we want to be a people known for love. Man, when did, when did we become known for being racists and bigots? When did we become known for segregating people out of our communities? When did we become known for being hypocritical and arrogant? What if we could be known not just by Christians in our city, but by even those who don't know you yet? What if we could be known for our love? I don't know about this Christianity thing, but when I come to that house, I cannot deny there's a love that I have not experienced in my family, that I have not experienced in my workplace, that I haven't experienced in my group of friends. God, would you inspire us with the beauty of your love? Hmm. Thank you, God.